So we're in First and Second Timothy. We're going to try to do both books tonight. I was going to just do First Timothy uh, because uh, the um, they weren't written very close to one another. You'd think they w- were, uh, but they weren't. It's not like First and Second Thessalonians. So we're going to do try to do both of them tonight. Anyhow, hey, it's even spelt right. Two of the pastoral epistles. So let's uh, zoom some of, through some of this uh, as we've committed to, but we should probably pray first, huh? Do you guys get enough to eat, by the way? I'm trying to suck it in a little bit. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, we, we love you, and we thank you for uh, today. Thank you for our time together tonight. And uh, I'm very thankful for the pastoral epistles, I guess because I like my job. And, um, but uh, it's important for all of us to know, for me to know, for holding myself to a standard and, and for the church to hold me to a standard as well. And just many of the, the wonderful truths that are found in the pastoral epistles, the theology, the, um, I guess we would say, faith and practice, Lord. So thank you for that. We just pray that you be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, you probably all already know who the author is. Uh, both letters bear uh, Paul's name in the first chapter, first verse of both books. Uh, the writing style, the language, the theology, everything is very, what we say, Pauline. Um, also, the, the letter is a letter to Timothy, and the language that he is expressing to Timothy is very typical of the relationship that Paul had as sort of a father in the faith to Timothy, raised him up in the faith, discipled him, trained him, and then, of course, Timothy traveled with Paul. Also, some of the companions that are listed in the epistle are consistent with Paul's missionary companions. All typical things. Those are all that's internal evidence. As far as the external evidence goes, all of the earliest manuscripts bear Paul's name. Huh? Yeah, that picture I don't, it reminds me of one of the churches in Africa. So it wasn't my slide. No, it's, it's Roger's default slide. <laughs> Can you hear me making fun of you, Roger? Okay, good, good. I didn't want that to go to waste. So uh, the early fathers of the church, for the first uh, three centuries of the church, recognized Paul as the author quoted Paul uh, as the author, quoted these letters for authority. And uh, so anyway, all very good indications that Paul is the letter or the author of this divinely inspired letter. Nothing you didn't know. So dating both of these epistles, uh, as I said, they're not close together uh, in their writing like First and Second Thessalonians. It's so hard to say that, Thessalonians. Um, but like them, there's enough evidence to where we can get pretty close to when they were written. So let's do 1 Timothy first. Now, um, uh, the book of Acts records uh, Paul's ministry up to uh, his first imprisonment, right? Okay. Uh, About 61 AD, 61 AD. And the evidence demonstrates that Paul was in prison for about two years, about two years. And that is also... um, uh, fits with Roman law. A prisoner who is a Roman citizen, uh, if he's not prosecuted within the, within the first two years after appealing to the emperor, he is released. That's Roman law. Okay? That puts us into 63 AD. Okay? And then sometime after Paul's release from prison, uh, he visited some of the churches in Macedonia, that's northern Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, and as he was heading in, or when he was in Macedonia, he wrote to Timothy to stay in Ephesus, okay, to pastor the church there. 
Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia okay, to remain in Ephesus. And Timothy, the rest of the epistle, uh, I believe 1 and 2 Timothy, are just uh, direction for Timothy as he pastors this church that is being troubled by apostasy, heresy, and a host of other things. So, so all that had to occur uh, after Paul was released from his first imprisonment and before his second. Why? Well, first, uh, there was never a time before his first imprisonment that Paul told Timothy to remain in Ephesus while he went into Macedonia. Okay? When Paul went into Macedonia in his second missionary journey, Timothy was with him. Okay? And, uh, and also because uh, Paul was never freed after his second imprisonment for him to go into Macedonia. Right? So, uh, uh, First Timothy was written sometime between 63 and uh, 66 AD during Paul's uh, freedom. So Second Timothy, uh, this was written during Paul's second Roman imprisonment, just before his martyrdom in 67 or maybe 68 AD, under the direction of our favorite emperor uh, Nero. A little bit of sarcasm there. Um, we're not sure exactly why he was arrested. Uh, some believe that he may have, um, uh, Nero may have accused him of provoking uh, the church in Rome to burn Rome. But um, the early Christians in the first century, as we know by the example of Paul, uh, by the example of Peter and John, they were pacifists in regard to government itself. Uh, they never resisted government. Um, they always submitted to the government, except in certain contexts. <laughs> Burning the capital you would be completely inconsistent with all of Paul's writings. And so that's what happened, was a major part of Rome burned, and uh, Nero blamed it on the Christians. Many historians believe, though, that Nero had it started for some type of political gain. Uh, but anyway, it would have been very inconsistent with the, just the, the whole uh, personality and nature of Christianity at that time. In fact, uh, Christians uh, weren't known for resisting any kind of government until much, much later in history, and um, failed every time, by the way. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with the Scottish Covenanters? John Stott. So, good men, it didn't go well. So, anyway, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, another one, uh, two attempts to uh, assassinate Hitler, both failed, and then um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was strangled with a piano cord. So, yeah, tragic stories. Um, so, uh, in Second Timothy, that Paul... Uh, was in prison is clear from 2 Timothy 1, verse 16 through 17, uh, and then also from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul says that he was in chains for the gospel, uh, and he says nothing about fire anyway. But, uh, and then in chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, he talks about uh, a man who had come to find him in Rome so that he could provide for his needs. As I talk to my children, if you don't have someone providing for your needs, in a Roman prison, you die. So your friends, family had to care for you. So uh, Paul knew in 2 Timothy that his death was imminent. That's expressed. But in 1 Timothy, he knew that his release was imminent. So we can tell the difference between the two. So 67, 68 AD for the writing of 2 Timothy. Um, and, you, and it's obvious why it was before his execution, right? Okay, just checking. Uh, special considerations, a number of interesting things. Um, the, the, the first two letters to Timothy are the first letters in the New Testament written to an individual. 
uh, as opposed to a, a greater church body. Uh, among the letters to individuals, uh, these come to us first in the New Testament order, uh, but they're not first in historical chronology. Uh, the first personal letter uh, to be written was Paul's letter to Philemon. That was written during Paul's first imprisonment. And actually, all this chronology is important uh, because it affects the progression of, of um, the kind of theology that was being addressed because we know that um, uh, toward maybe the middle of Paul's missionary journeys, the, the seedbed for Gnosticism was growing and that theology was developing. It was creeping into the church. We also have the development of the Judaizers and, and how they followed Paul. And uh, as you put the chronology together, you can see where they're at and why Paul is speaking the way he's speaking and so forth. So anyway, Philemon, uh, first letter written during Paul's first imprisonment. Uh, the second and third personal letters of Paul were written were 1 Timothy and Titus, okay, between his two Roman imprisonments. And the fourth would be 2 Timothy, as we've said, written during his second Roman incarceration. So four personal letters of Paul, uh, all of which are placed out of historical order in the Bible. Uh, remember, as I said, when we started, the new, started Paul's epistles, his epistles are placed in the order they are because of size. Not so helpful. And we said last week that First and Second Thessalonians were probably the first two letters written in the New Testament, uh, depending on how we date Galatians. All right, and I think Galatians was written right about the same time. But uh, yeah. Yeah, so the, according to the number of words, Romans has the most words, Philemon has the least. So that's how they're ordered in your New Testament, is the letter with the most words is first, Romans, trickling down, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the letters get smaller, 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 until you have the smallest. Uh, some heretic from a long time ago. Uh, whoever ordered them. I'm, I'm not sure who is responsible for the, uh, placing them in order. It's a good thing they're dead. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to Roger today. You know, it is interesting, though, as you take the book of Acts, the, the history, and then you try to place the letters of Paul in there. It's kind of like taking the Old Testament history and then taking the prophets and trying to fit them uh, at what era, which king, and so forth. And we can do a pretty good job with um, that, except uh, that's the challenge, is what nobody recorded the history uh, from Paul's, the rest of Paul's time in his first imprisonment to his death. So that's a good question. What happened during those years of freedom? What happened? Uh, we only have a few hints that are here and there. Uh, what's going on? Uh, nothing like the detail that Luke provides. Luke was a Wonderful historian. And um, yeah. So here's what we do know if you're interested in facts like that. It's kind of like the intertestamental period uh, between Malachi and, and Matthew. Uh, as we've said, Paul wrote 1 Timothy and Titus uh, during this time, time of freedom. Uh, Timothy was stationed in Ephesus as the pastor there. Okay. Uh, Paul visited Miletus, that's south of Ephesus, 2 Timothy 4.20. He apparently visited Ephesus on his way to Troas. So he visited Miletus, Ephesus, Troas, okay? At which time he urged, member Timothy to stay, 2 Timothy 4.13. Paul visited Macedonia, 1 Timothy 1.3. He went to Corinth, 2 Timothy 4.20. Uh, from 2 Timothy 4.19, we learned that Priscilla and Aquila had left Rome. 
We don't know where they were, but wherever they were, Timothy was with them. But we don't know where Timothy was for certain. Uh, after, well, I might say when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. I think he was in Ephesus. I think there's good reason for that. Uh, Paul and Titus planted churches in Crete during this time. Titus chapter 1, Paul says, I left you in Crete that you might set things in order and appoint elders in every city. Okay? Uh, and then Titus remained in Crete for uh, that, the establishment of the church on the island. Huge island, by the way. It's directly south of the Aegean Sea. Yeah. That's what we know. Not much to know beyond that. So, um, Clement, uh, an early disciple of the church, uh, a friend of Paul, companion, uh, he wrote in about 96 AD in his letter, 1 Clement, chapter 3, 13 through 15, it's not the Bible, uh, that Paul had reached as far west as he possibly could have. So Clement believed that Paul reached Spain. All right? Uh, we don't know that for sure. Clement mentions uh, a number of incarcerations uh, throughout Paul's freedom period and uh, that he faced many, many problems uh, during that time before his second imprisonment and execution. Interesting stuff. Uh, is um, Clement right? Probably. He's early enough, and knowing Paul, knowing the apostles, he's probably pretty doggone close. Yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, what I think will concern us tonight uh, are the issues pertaining to Ephesus, because Paul was writing to Timothy, who was pastoring in Ephesus. Um, so, but something has happened in Ephesus, and that's why Timothy needs to stay there. Now, Paul traveled through Ephesus and in um, uh, 59 AD, on his way back to Jerusalem where he was arrested, and then he was taken to prison, okay? And, uh, and he stayed there until about 63 AD till he was freed. So four or five years, uh, something happened in Ephesus that required Timothy to be stationed there uh, to pastor the church. And, um, but, you know, you think, well, four or five years, that's not very long, but that all depends on what the church experienced, who was in leadership, and, and all of that. You know, many churches have collapsed in far less time. Okay, all you need is a scandal or something, and the church is done. And um, so anyway, when we come to 63 to 66 AD, uh, there's problems, and they were obviously pre-existing. Uh, Paul mentions problems with uh, false teachers, with apostasy, with church leadership, with discipleship, and then a host of miscellaneous things. I, I've told you before, I'm always fascinated by people that say, well, if we were just like the early church, have you read church history? The early church is just filled with problems. Uh, Paul, uh, rather than staying in Ephesus himself and fixing the problems, he had things he wanted to attend to in Macedonia. So he left Timothy there to handle those issues. Uh, just as he left Titus to handle him in Crete. Now, I think that by the Holy Spirit leading Paul, that more than ever, he's trying to reproduce himself and get these churches as autonomous as possible. Okay? And, uh, but that's for Paul, that's going to require him trusting other people to take the helm uh, at these various churches. And uh, that's where we have this thing with Titus and Timothy, getting them there and then instructing them to do their duties faithfully. So Paul's doing that with Timothy. Um, we have the pastoral epistles. Now, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 is crammed into the pastoral epistles. So you have First and Second Timothy, Titus, and 1 Peter 5. So that's 
traditionally what is considered pastoral. Uh, Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, following his discussion on the, the qualification of elders and deacons, he says, I write so that you, Timothy the pastor, may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So my whole purpose for writing is so that you might know how to conduct yourself and then how to bring the church uh, along in the way that it ought to conduct itself. Yeah, how the pastor ought to conduct himself. Also, uh, I think I said before that uh, not only do the pastoral epistles provide, we might say, a job description for the pastor, it also is for the laity, so they know what to hold the pastor accountable to. Uh, But sadly, uh, instead of uh, pastors insisting on doing their job description, and instead of the congregation insisting that pastors do their job description, both have uh, over the years, the pastor has fallen into a business uh, type of model. And the church has become about business. And um, super sad. Anyway, I'm really thankful that nobody's pressuring me here uh, to do that. And the elders have always been, stick to your, your biblical job and not something else. So, so a question of Timothy's location or locations. Uh, as we've said, 1 Timothy, obviously, and he's Ephesus, Second Timothy is more difficult um, because, really, because Paul is just silent. He doesn't say anything. Uh, but as I said, I believe he's still in Ephesus uh, because of there's a reference to Alexander the coppersmith who has done, uh, who has created severe problems for Paul. Now he's not probably not the same guy that's mentioned in Ephesus. Remember uh, when all of the, the the artisans came together that made idols for Artemis. Uh, it, one of them had instigated it, but it appears that one of them has continued uh, on to cause problems for Paul. Uh, and, and then Titus, and he even tells, or not Titus, but Timothy, says, watch out for this dude. Okay, the, the guy's trouble. And uh, so I think that uh, Timothy's still there. Um, yeah, Norman Geisler assumes that Timothy was in Macedonia uh, in his survey of the New Testament, but he provides no evidence, zero evidence. So, I gave you a peace of mind if you like it. Norman Geisler knows now, though, that he was wrong. He, he's in heaven, so he's, he's learned all he needs to now. Um, as I said before, uh, Timothy is with Priscilla and Aquila and uh, Onesiphorus' household, but Paul doesn't say where they are, and uh, so that's real helpful. So thanks, Paul. Let's look at some, some doctrinal stuff. There may be no new doctrine uh, presented in the epistles, uh, in the pastoral epistles, uh, but there's certainly more clarity regarding some essential things. In 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 11, um, Paul clarifies an issue regarding the law of Moses, uh, specifically the Ten Commandments, that he says they have a lawful and an unlawful application. The law of Moses, specifically the Ten Commandments, they have a lawful and an unlawful use. And depending on how it's applied, determines whether or not it's good or it's bad. So there is a bad way to use the law of God, and there's a good way, is what Paul says. In verse 8 through 9, Paul says that the law, uh, it is not lawful, and therefore not good to impose the Ten Commandments on those who have been justified by faith. He says the law was not made for a righteous man, but for, and he just lists many of the violations of the Ten Commandments, those who are living contrary to the word of God. And Paul says that those who would impose the law on people that are uh, justified by faith 
He says that they're idle talkers. They're idle talkers. He says they lack understanding of what they say and of what they're affirming, verse 6 through 7. I brought this up to a friend who believes that we should impose the Ten Commandments on Christians. I said, do you realize that, according to Paul, you're an idle talker, and uh, you don't know what you're saying or what you're affirming, and that you're using the law unlawfully? (laughs) You don't have to answer to me on this. You have to answer to the Lord on this, okay? And then to the contrary, Paul says that the lawful use of the Ten Commandments is when you apply it to those who are outside of Christ who are actually in need of justification, verse 9 through 11. And then uh, that's not an isolated um, uh, description of the proper use of the law. We see the exact same thing in Romans 3, 24 and 25. Law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but after faith has come, there's no longer a need for the law. Also Romans 3, 19 and 20, Paul says that, uh, that it's by the law we have the knowledge of sin, okay, but that there's no use for the law in terms of justification. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 is another place. Paul says the Ten Commandments bring death. They're made to condemn you, to, to rob you of any confidence of being righteous before God. But then he says through faith and grace, the Spirit gives life, gives life. Uh, Colossians 2 is another one, of course, and the book of Hebrews Um, Moving on, in the last section of 1 Timothy 1, uh, Paul reveals that uh, Christ saved Paul in order to demonstrate that he'll save anyone. Now that is kind of uh, a new discussion in the New Testament. It's not new theology, really, because Christ, you know, God so loved the world. But Paul is saying that God has used me as a pattern uh, to demonstrate to everybody that God will scrape the bottom of the barrel. And not only will he save you, but he'll use you for his purposes. Okay? So I think that's, that's pretty cool. Paul's saying he's not willing that even someone like me should perish, but that I would come to the knowledge of truth. So a good exhortation for us uh, to always be praying for those that we think deserve Christ the, la- the, the least. Okay? Yeah, God would love to use those people as an example. Uh, chapter 2 and 3 Uh, are currently uh, two of the most disobeyed and ignored passages in the context of church leadership because the Holy Spirit clarifies that the offices of pastor and elder can only be held by a man. Uh, Women are not permitted to fill these positions. Uh, And that, of course, doesn't mesh well with our culture, uh, both in the church and out of the church. And then in uh, chapter 2, verse Uh, 13 through 15, Paul dismisses uh, the idea that culture was the original reason for this prohibition. And then in chapter 3, he gives the qualifications for elders, which are men. Okay, agrees with the the rest of biblical teaching, like 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Titus chapter 1, as well as what we have as a biblical example uh, throughout. For example, Jesus and the apostles, they never appointed women uh, into these roles for leadership. Never did. And if anybody was counterculture, and if anybody was not afraid of being canceled, it was Jesus, okay? And uh, he never did any of those. So uh, the, the high calling of a woman is found elsewhere in the context of the church and family. And, uh, and I believe that wherever God calls us is where we maximize our own dignity and his glory, amen? Wherever he wants us, he knows best. Um, but like any other prohibition, if we disobey, it's called rebellion. So it's something we want to be careful with. Um, by the way, if that's news to any of you in here, 
please come talk to me after service. Uh, Included in chapter 3 is also a list of qualifications for deacons and their wives. Uh, Chapter 4, like 2 Timothy 3, talks about future apostasy. Both books talk about it. Uh, Paul is saying to to Timothy, this is on the horizon, get ready. Chapter 5 provides clarity on the discipline of elders who have sinned. Uh, That's always a problem. How do you discipline those at the highest level of leadership? Are they above the law? No. No, in fact, in, in Christianity... Uh, they get less warnings. Okay? The laity, in regular sin, they get three strikes. Uh, a heretic gets two. A pastor and elder get one. And uh, so, a little different in the church. I guess that's a nice uh, warning to anybody that would presume. Um, uh, perhaps more than anywhere else in the Bible, Paul gives instruction about uh, what to do with widows, the care of widows. Uh, he, he, uh, he gives like uh, different kinds of widows, widows that have family, widows that don't have family, and how the church is to get involved, especially with those that don't have family, to help them out. Interesting stuff. Second Timothy, um, Second Timothy is just all about teaching the word. Uh, the pastor's responsibility to teach and uh, the word uh, accurately, to exemplify, uh, to be a pattern of, of uh, what it is to live by the scriptures. Uh, chapter 3 Uh, All the way to chapter 4, verse 5, is this warning about uh, future apostasy and immorality. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 3.16, we're provided one of the clearest passages on on, uh, the Bible's divine inspiration. Okay, That all scripture is theopanousto, it's God-breathed, and it's profitable. And again, chapter 4 is emphasis on the pastor's duty to preach the word as it's related to sound or healthy teaching. All right. Do some quick outlines and I'll get you out of here. So 1 Timothy, can you see that below outline? It's not too small? Okay. How about you guys in the back? Oh, good. Because I can't enlarge it. It won't let me. So chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, is, uh, that's correcting false teachers that want to be teachers of the law. Remember the ones that are idle talkers and so forth. And then chapter 2, 1 through 7, is praying especially for civil leaders. Paul does say to pray for all people, but he says especially for those in some kind of... Uh, office. And then the, there's the appointing of spiritual leaders, chapter 2, 8 through 3, 16. Chapter 4, 1 through 5 is confronting doctrines of demons, forbidding foods. I never bring that up when people tell me that I should abstain from certain foods. And then forbidding to marry, okay, two of the doctrines of demons. And, uh, and then chapter 4, 6 through 6, 21, uh, it's all about a good minister and his teaching, his example, and his oversight. That's First Timothy. Second Timothy, uh, I stole this outline from Geisler. Uh, affliction in ministry, uh, holding fast uh, the sound words, chapter 1. The word sound, uh, the way that Paul uses, is actually a medical term. Uh, it means healthy, like sound in body, chapter 1. Um, there's an interesting word that I probably don't know how to pronounce in the Greek. It takes five or six English words to translate it. It's, uh, uh, it's sugak. Apatheo. It means to suffer evil treatment with someone. And Paul, uh, he's in prison, 2 Timothy. He's in chains. He knows that he's about to be executed. And he's inviting Timothy. Uh, he's telling him, don't be afraid. Remember, we, we keep quoting that in the context of COVID-19. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Here it's in the context of being bold to preach the gospel, to do the work of the ministry. But he's saying, he's saying, uh, Sukkot, 
agapatheo, come with me and share in my sufferings against evil. It's very interesting. Yeah. But he's saying to Timothy in this context that in order for you to do this, you're going to have to hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. You have to. If, you don't, if you're not clinging to the word of God, he's saying, you're not going to be able to suffer evil and, uh, and do well. In chapter 2, um, Paul encourages Timothy to narrow his focus in life so he doesn't get distracted, okay? so that he might diligently exegete the scriptures and appoint other faithful men who can do it as well. Exegete really means to interpret correctly the scriptures. Then chapter 3, apostasy, immorality. Um, Paul, then he explains all this to Timothy. He brings his attention back to the word. Uh, Remember to rely upon the inspired word of God, which will basically point you in the right direction and keep you in the way. And then in chapter 4, Paul charges Timothy to preach the inspired word. Now, I love the combination of chapter 3 and 4. If you take the chapter break out, because the same crazy people that uh, put the order of the books in there, they put chapter and verse. But when you read chapter 3 into chapter 4, Paul is telling Timothy, look, um, all hell is going to break loose on planet Earth. So this is what I want you to do. Get ready for this. I want you to teach the word. That's it. I want you to teach the word. I don't want you to, you name it. This is the best thing for a chaotic world, an immoral world, is to preach the word of God because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Nothing else is. Amen? And then Paul gives uh, some of those details of where he had been, greetings, and goodbye. And I think what is very interesting is Paul tells Timothy, uh, go to Troas, get the parchments, and get my cloak. And for the first time, I've read a commentary that said he wanted the cloak because Roman prisons are cold. So it may have been in Troas that he was arrested and left behind some of his items. I don't know. And he wanted Timothy to come to him quickly uh, just in case he'd see him one more time. Yeah, that's all I got. Go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. Next week, we will do Titus. Um, I don't know, it might be awkward to slip Philemon in there with Titus, but yeah. All right. Well, Lord, we're thankful for Paul, who was promised that he would suffer many things for your sake. And then as Paul grew in the faith, we were thankful that he had considered all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So much so that he said, I don't even value my own life so that I might finish my race well. And then he was arrested and imprisoned. And Lord, there's so many great things about Paul that uh, I think really is attractive to us. We, We may not want his suffering, but we certainly want his conviction. But as Paul said, that kind of conviction will lead you into suffering. And so, Lord, wherever we're wanting our lives being conformed, Lord, to your word, we do pray that uh, you just continue your work, bringing us, us, bringing us to completion. And that as Paul said, that he said, I'm confident that Christ is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. And uh, Lord, help us to trust you like that. So Lord, thank you for these epistles. Encourage our hearts and help, you to help us to walk worthy. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right.